Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here. I am the Edmonton Journal's Provincial Affairs reporter. Like every week before the Press Gallery, our weekly podcast on all things Alberta politics. A quick reminder to subscribe. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you happen to podcast. If you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a five-star rating. It does help. And also recommend us to your other political nerdy friends uh, or people who just like to know more about Alberta. You can always reach out to me with any questions, comments, or concerns. Email me, egraney at postmedia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I'm the Edmonton Journal Provincial Affairs reporter, Emma Graney. It is Friday, March 1, 2019, and this is the Money Worries and Party Woes edition. With me today, my fellow legislative reporter, Claire Clancy. How are you, Clancy? I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, it's cold. I hear it's that you very got cold. kind of frozen on the way to work. Yep, I walked to work and it was a nightmare. But I'm here now. It's like 34 below, dude. Yeah. Serves you for not burning fossil fuels and on your way to work today. That's Damn, true. Hippie. I'm proud of you, Claire. Uh, Sarah O'Donnell, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show again. I love having you on the show. It's fun. And political columnist Keith Duran, how are you, mate? I'm doing well. Thanks. Oh, I didn't mention Sarah O'Donnell's my boss. Yeah. yeah. So she's all of our bosses. <laughs> so when she says thanks for having me on the podcast, what she really means is <laughs> I was <laughs> I'm coming on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to get all squeaky. The producer's going to get upset. But I was invited on. I got to insert myself into the show. Yeah. Sarah is not a despotic ruler, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this week we've got a few things on the go. Uh, we're going to be talking about third quarter financials because ain't no party like a fiscal update party, right, Clancy? Yep, it's everybody's favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we're also going to talk some more UCP election promises and why a Kenny advisor has ended up in hot water. And we will talk about a kerfuffle at a Lethbridge hospital thanks to an event with Premier Notley. Let's start off with Q3 financials because, of course, that was the big uh, news this week uh, in that it affects literally everyone in the province. Uh, Clancy, you covered this. You got to get to the ledge early and get a nice embargo bag of documents. Yeah, it's always fun. It makes you feel like a real reporter <laughs> getting embargoed <laughs> documents. Um, yeah, so Q3 financials this week. Uh, it's important to say that potentially this will be the last fiscal update we see before an election. Right. Um, there's no news as to when a budget might uh, might be um, tabled. So, you know, Q3, this could be it. What was interesting about this year is that Finance Minister Joe Sisi included in his Q3 financials um, an update on the path to balance, which goes back to kind of the budget they tabled last year and the promise to balance the budget by 2023. Um, It was actually pretty good news in the Q3 financials, which was surprising given the brutal oil differential we saw in the fall. Um, So CC actually announced a $1.9 billion deficit reduction from the original $8.8 billion that was outlined in the budget. Um, So now for 2018-2019, the province is looking at a $6.9 billion deficit. Uh, They also projected um, kind of slower growth this year. So I think the real GDP numbers were that um, for 2018, they reduced the growth prediction to 2.4%. And then for 
2019, it was reduced to 1.6%. That's down from 2.7% and 2.5% respectively. But what's also interesting is that the same day the Q3 financials were tabled, Conference Board of Canada also came out with numbers and they actually predicted even slower growth. That was a sad trombone for Alberta, that part. Right. And so they said Alberta is predicted to have the slowest growth this year um, than all provinces behind New Brunswick even. Sarah, Hmm. you've actually got things printed out in front of you. Well, I just printed out the uh, third quarter financial statement because the numbers aren't quite seared into my brain (laughs) like they are for Claire after... (laughs) After being there for the for the full day, I did not get the early embargo package, so I have to print out my own copy. But it was it was so interesting for me because it certainly was not the presentation that I was expecting. Because we had been talking, as we talked in the podcast before, for you know the last couple months about what a nightmare oil prices were in the third quarter, and we thought that would be completely reflected in this. But I guess they are saying that it's it's not oil revenue that they said was turning the at least in the third quarter, they said it was other other revenues coming in. Um, so it, yeah, it, but at the same time, you know, and then I thought, oh, Sarah, you should have known better. You're, they're heading into the election. It doesn't matter. Like they're not going to paint a gloomy picture. They're going to want to project a confident financial picture and an improvement. So I don't know why I was expecting doom and gloom because that just that would have been a not the right approach if you're heading into an election. But it's not like they can grab these figures out of thin air, right? Like There's some factual basis here. Yes. This is not me just randomly putting numbers down on a notepad. I'd hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's interesting, though, that you say that you were expecting doom and gloom because uh, CC did warn at Q2 update. He warned that there would be a potential slump. And then we didn't really see that. A little bit with the real GDP numbers, but not in any other real way. Um, So I think it's kind of interesting that given such a yeah terrible like yeah oct- October November December um really it was a kind of a rosy picture and that's what the opposition said the opposition criticized the NDP for releasing this uh Q3, Q3 financial update, yeah. update for being unrealistic and uh, and a rosy picture that they said is out of touch with Albertans, which is pretty much what we expected the UCP to say. And yeah. I should just clarify that they said that the increase in revenue, which is what will make up the difference in the deficit, was uh, from actually higher resource revenue, personal income tax revenue, and federal transfers partially offset by lower investment income and corporate income tax revenue. <laughs> Let the record state. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do, I, you do go back to... Uh, uh, those heady days of, of November uh, 2018, and right, and everyone was talking crisis. Are we crisis. calling them heady days? Heady days, heady oh, days. Damn. Yes, yes <laughs> exactly. Uh, when people were talking crisis, catastrophe, right? This was the end of the world. The the uh, price for Western Canadian Select was below 15 bucks a barrel. The mm-hmm. uh, the differential was like 45, 50 bucks a barrel. Um, you know, the, the Alberta government was taking in almost no revenue or very, very little revenue from the oil sector at that point. So you had to suspect it was going to affect the quarter three financials. It did. At least this is Joe Cece's explanation. Government officials, they said, yeah, it hurt, but not enough to overcome some of the higher than expected oil prices earlier in the year. Uh, better than expected personal income taxes, like Sarah just said. So not as bad as we thought. And so the deficit is actually down, not up as we thought, All right, down to 6.9, right? Almost $2 billion less. Then they they called for at budget time. So that's 
pretty good news. We all thought that this was a, a, a financial statement that they were going to have to kind of drop on us and then go run and hide for a couple of <laughs> a couple of months, right? Wait to call the election until this became uh, something that people forgot. Now, this is something they can potentially run on. It's not, I wouldn't call it great news, but it's not a disaster that we thought it was. It's almost like we've, we've kind of lowered our standards a exactly. little bit over the past <laughs> few years because the economy's taken such a kicking, right? Yes. So it's kind of like, well, I mean, it's not as bad as we thought. Yeah. And it is it is still a deficit yeah. and they are projecting still, you know, the path to balance, which is the phrase they use, it does still project a deficit for multiple years ahead and that is something that certainly will be part of a coming election campaign with uh, opposition parties hammering them for that and the NDP saying, "Well, what would you have us do?" Instead, and and that will be the alternative is that they will say to to do further cuts, and I think they talked about that would do more harm, and so that's what Albertans are going to have to decide what they what they believe. And that number, kind of that scary ninety six billion dollar number number that became the headline in budget last year of you know that being the debt by I think twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three twenty twenty three yeah yeah um, I think that number is really also going to be thrown around a lot by the opposition it in is. the campaign. You, you've already seen it in, in a lot of their their campaign materials. It's being splashed around everywhere, not just by the UCP, but by the Alberta party as well. And it, of all the numbers in that fiscal update, that's the one we're going to hear more and more. $95 billion, that is the debt that the NDP expects to rack, uh, rack up by the time they return to a balanced budget. So, Get used to it. Ninety-five billion. Some of them even rounded up to a hundred billion. So that you know that. Yeah, that. there's a little discrepancy there. <laughs> Just by a billion, few billion. Ninety-six billion. Hundred billion. Yeah. billion, yeah. billion yeah. You know, yeah. it's all chump change, Keith. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What's another billion? I'm just and, and we're not. And this, like you guys said, this is probably the last budget document or financial document we are going to see. It seems like at one point when they were doing public consultations on budget 2019-20, I think we all thought, okay, well, maybe we are going to get a budget before the next election, like a budget into the new year. But now it seemed like, Claire, you were saying that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case. Yeah, I think just because it was so surprising to see this kind of path to balance update, um, and it was very kind of political in nature and the Mm -hmm. way that it was worded and talking about kind of um, how the NDP decided not to make drastic cuts and kind of some of the language that was used. I think people, at least who are at the news conference, really think that it was hinting that there's not going to be a budget. And speaking of the election, which is coming at some point in the future, apparently, allegedly, probably. Has to before the end of May. Has to. I mean... They could ignore it. (laughs) They could ignore that. I guess they could introduce change legislation. I mean, they could. I'm sure that would be super well received. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, the UCP has launched some more election promises this week. Uh, Leader Jason Kenney seemed to be getting all up in the immigration grill this week. Clancy, you were following this, weren't you? You yeah. raved about this. I, you know, I do want to say, can everyone just calm down in politics? Too much <laughs> is happening. There's too much for us to cover lately. It's Everybody just, chill. I can't believe what how much has happened in every week in the last month or I'm so. I'm just installing but... a hotline into Claire's office because <laughs> yeah. I seriously swear it's like yeah. every half hour, I'm like, did you see this now? <laughs> yeah. What about this? And something so, else is happening. Oh, good. Something about oil. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thankfully, Emma and I can shout at each other through our walls we can. to keep each other up. 
updated. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, immigration promises made this week. Uh, yeah, obviously, because Jason Kenney is a former federal immigration minister, this is an issue that, you know, he says is close to his heart. Um, he brought forward a few things. Uh, probably the, um, the biggest one is this, uh, fairness to, for newcomers action plan. And that includes, um, several different things, one of which is legislation that he wants to bring forward, which will, um, help people who have, uh, foreign credentials, um, he said, give them a six-month deadline in order to uh, to get an answer as to whether or not they would be able to work in Alberta. Another part of that is um, related to a plan to help, he says, attract immigrants to rural areas. And part of that would include um, partnering with communities and having them sponsor immigrants so that they uh, can set up businesses. He said it would focus on entrepreneurs. It's based on a program in British Columbia where uh, people have to meet uh, meet some criteria that include things like um, $100,000 net worth um, and uh, owning 51% of a business. So Jason Kenney is slowly rolling out these these platform points that he says are really focused on growing Alberta's kind of entrepreneurship immigrant community. It's worth noting that the federal government has final say over applications to uh, get permanent residency or, or obviously to immigrate in, into provinces. But uh, provinces do have deals that give them a say with the government as to kind of how they uh, recruit immigrants. So I think Jason Kenney wants to focus on maybe changing um, how that works in Alberta. The NDP's reaction to this was that, you know, the UCP hasn't really done their homework and that some changes have been made with um, kind of the provincial immigration process, including access to this express uh, entry system. Um, so Labor Minister Christina Gray came out and said that uh, the, the system has been changed in the last few years and that immigrants coming to Alberta actually do have um, timely answers on things and, and are doing fairly well. And um, yeah, and that it's a more complex issue than what, what Kenny is saying. The NDP also have um, money under their anti-racism things, I, I, I believe. When it comes to foreign credentials, they have a whole system in place to deal with that already. Right. Yeah. And Minister Egan was talking about that, that it's uh, they don't see that as an issue really right now. That That's like a pressing problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, so to sum up, I guess this week, we had a couple of big immigration announcements from the UCP. They're at it. They're steadily rolling out their platform. Again, we saw Jason Kenney in these news conferences surrounded by his diverse uh, candidates. And um, yeah, so I think we'll continue to see similar uh, similar announcements. What was your reaction like to this, Keith? Yeah, I mean, I think this is an issue close to Jason Kenney's heart. I, as you pointed out, he was the citizenship and immigration minister for the federal government for a number of years. But I also think it's just good politics, and Kenney understands that. I mean, his party has been tainted, accused, fairly or unfairly, with this idea of, of having people who are anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, um, unfriendly to, to newcomers. And this is his response that, no, we are quite the opposite of that. And I, uh, he's taken great pains to show it at pretty much every news conference recently. He's definitely had his candidates uh, from minority communities front and center, right behind him. Uh, they, are, they are placed, uh, even if there's 50 candidates up there, the, the, the minority ones are right behind Jason Kenney. What was interesting about the press conference on the foreign credentialing was that he, he'd had some real tough talk uh, about 
regulatory agencies, uh, agencies that he says are uh, not transparent with newcomers about whether they'll be able to work in Alberta, that uh, engage in protectionism, that um, string them along uh, without without clear answers, telling them they have to get this credential and then that credential and upgrade here and upgrade there and eventually uh, don't don't make good on their word. But he won't say who they are. Uh, so he says there's two to three bad actors out there. Lawyers, engineers, nurses, doctors. We don't know. He won't say. And he, he specifically said he didn't want to pick a fight with any of those professions. But he also said that the government would take severe action potentially against these these regulatory agencies, expose them, show them to the public how awful they are. And theory, if it got bad enough, he would potentially take some steps to remove their ability to license those professions uh, as a last resort. So it's a little, it plays a bit to the crowd. I'm not, he wasn't entirely clear and I'm not sure he entirely made the case that this is really that big an issue where the, there are regulatory agencies getting that bad. Of course, there are, there are issues with credentialing. But to take it to that extreme to say, we know there's two to three bad actors, but won't identify them, that's, that came across as a, bit, uh, as a bit disingenuous to me. I think I, I agree. I think that that was actually a really, um, I think that was a more interesting announcement on his immigration platform because I could foresee this becoming um, a fight with regulatory agencies, uh, you know, especially like the College of Physicians, for example, is a self-governing body. Uh, I think you could foresee these agencies feeling a little bit uh, angry, I guess, at a government that wants to overstep the bounds, right? Well, it taints them all right now, right? They're all under suspicion because he won't identify them. He says he knows that they there are these bad actors out there, but then won't say what they are. Fun fact about Alberta. Only place I've ever been told to go back to where I came from. Been told that four times. Thanks, Alberta. Really? That makes me so sad. Yeah. I've Stop lived in saying four that, Alberta. Provinces. Yeah. It's the only place. I'll, I'll be interested to see how much more uh, the UCP talk about this platform, This how much emphasis they give to these particular planks as they go through the, you know, coming weeks, months of, a, of an election campaign. Um I don't know if this will be kind of their bread and butter talking points. I, and I'm not sure why they're putting them out, you know, this this early. I think that um, Kenny will like it. They will point to it to show that, look, at the diversity of, of planks and policy we have. I mean, certainly these are issues that we've heard governments of all stripes over the years talk about the issues of getting newcomers credential fa credentials faster, getting a, a better, a better, bigger share of Canadian immigrants and attracting more people to rural communities. Keith, I know you've written about the efforts to attract healthcare workers to um, rural communities and smaller Alberta cities and towns over the years for sure as well. So it's not like this is a, it's not a new thing and a new problem. And there's always been a lot of kind of tinkering on the edges. I guess the one thing I did hear a lot of people say, well, why is he talking about this? And you did address this, Claire, about it not being a provincial issue. And I, the thinking on that certainly has changed because of these new agreements I was looking, because I was looking online because I had that first initial gut reaction as well. And then I was like, oh, right. All of the Canadian provinces did sign these agreements with the federal government to have a bigger say in a segment of immigration. So it, it's not exactly the same as it was three decades ago or, you know, where 
forward and it was just like, oh, no, that's only a federal responsibility. There has been Provincial more, nominees. And yeah, stuff. exactly. There has been sharing. So it is something for it is a legitimate topic of conversation, I think, for to talk about provincially in terms of a policy perspective. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the NDP, too. I mean, we have things coming from them. I'm just looking. They've been having stand-ups on different things fast and furious. I see that Economic Development and Trade Minister Darren Billis today is going to be having an event, uh, might even, it's just in a few minutes from now, actually, about, uh, quote, support for Alberta's high-tech researchers, innovators, and entrepreneurs. So we'll see what exactly is in, in that. But these kinds of topics are certainly going to be around the edges. but And it was interesting as well to see some of the reaction. I mean, on, on, you know, on the far left who, you know, hate Kenny anyways, it was like, oh, yeah, sure, this is just going to, you know, um, what's, your, what's your base going to say to this because you're a bunch of racists anyway? And then on the far right, I mean, there was kind of that anti-immigrant pushback reaction to these policies. I noticed that on social media as well. Like it was kind of interesting seeing some people say, like, what are you going to do about jobs for Albertans? What are you doing for yep. people that live here? And that's that's going to be a very interesting tightrope for the UCP oh, yeah. to walk. Yeah, that is. I mean, you're exactly right, because you've got that. The UCP is very much like we're going to fight for Alberta. We're going to fight Ottawa and we and get the best thing for Alberta. And where do you go when you're bringing up immigration policies? So Sarah O'Donnell is right now doing a roll up the rim. Did you win, Sarah? <laughs> That's embarrassing. You were supposed to talk about No, that. let us no. know. But did you win? Um, let me see. I, I don't know yet. I'm not very good at this. So, um, <laughs> But I, I think that it's important to recognize that Alberta itself does win from immigration. We don't grow uh, if we if without immigration. Even though we have a young province, our growth rate still does not sustain itself mm-hmm. um, if if there's not immigration. So I think that people who who are just completely saying that you shouldn't talk about um, this issue are uh, wrongheaded. Well, for sure. I'm a first generation Canadian. Yeah, Emma's a new citizen. I'm a new Canadian. Mm-hmm. Keith and Sarah both born here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Old stock Canadians. And please play again. You didn't win in the roll of the rim? No. Oh, Sarah, sadly. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's okay. You'll just have to buy another coffee. And so another interesting aside that's happened this week, uh, Jason Kenney advisor Cam Davies has landed in hot water and it was about Jeff Calloway's leadership bid for the UCP, right, Keith? Yeah, it was. I mean, everybody's focused on the, you know, the, the campaign to come uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Jason Kenney and... Uh, the UCP might want to focus on the campaign that happened about 18 months ago, the leadership campaign, because that seems to keep coming up. So this, yeah, this is a a fine, $15,000 fine. It's actually a massive fine, one of the biggest I think I've ever seen uh, for this kind of infraction. Uh, this was levied by the election commissioner, Lauren Gibson, against Cameron Davies, who was uh, a part of the campaign team for Jeff Calloway back in uh, 2017 when the UCP mm-hmm. held its leadership campaign. He was co-chair, I think. He was co-chair, something. I believe, of, of the Jeff Calloway campaign. He, uh, since November uh, of last year, has been working for the UCP, uh, helping to write press releases. And, and uh, it's not entirely clear what he was doing. But as soon as these fines came out, which uh, was, I believe, on Wednesday or Thursday, the uh, the UCP dropped him. They term- terminated his contract. Um, uh, apparently, they had asked him in January whether he was under any kind of investigation and told them no. Oh, that's very Derek Fildebrand of him. <laughs> it is. Well, it's, it's possible at that time he didn't know he was un- under investigation. But oh, yeah. okay. the part of the problem with this is Lauren Gibson put out just a 
bare pieces of information. Basically just gave Cameron Davies name, uh, gave uh, a fine amount, uh, said there were two infractions and said it was for obstruction of an investigation. That That's what the fine is for, obstruction of an investigation. What that investigation exactly is, we don't know other than it's related to the Jeff Calloway campaign from 2017. And Lauren Gibson says he is bound by legislation that he cannot say anything more at this point. So that is a serious problem. Um, now, Cameron Davies and his lawyer are going to court to fight this. Maybe more will come out at that point. And maybe there is good reason for the legislation preventing Lauren Gibson from saying more at this point. But for the people of Alberta, we're kind of the losers right here. We're in the dark. We don't know exactly what this is related to. The, the intrigue here is that there have been allegations that the Callaway campaign and the Jason Kenney campaign were coordinating, right? That there was some sort of collusion between the two. That Jeff Callaway was not very, a serious candidate, was not running to be the UCP leader, but was running just to derail Brian Jean, who is Jason Kenney's chief rival at the time. So those are the allegations. They've been denied by the people involved. Is that what Lauren Gibson is investigating? We don't know. So there's a lot of unanswered questions still here. And there's another aspect that broke yesterday on Thursday. There was another woman fined who was associated with the Jeff Calloway campaign, Karen Brown. Karen right? Brown and a $3,500 fine for donating funds that were that weren't hers, weren't basically. Hers, yeah. yeah. So taking, forgetting a receipt or taking responsibility for a donation to the Jeff Calloway leadership campaign with money that wasn't actually hers. So the the implication there is that someone else gave her that money and said, hey, you donate it under your name and you take the tax receipt and she's been fined for that. Right. And that is illegal, right? You can only donate your own money. You can't do- donate somebody else's money. And we've heard that allegation before as well uh, earlier this year from Prav Gill and, and maybe others as well that the Callaway campaign was not funded with his own donor's money or his money. It was funded somehow through a pack connected to Jason Kenney or, or, or donors connected to Jason Kenney. Again, is this particular fine against Karen Brown related to that allegation? Does it sustain that allegation? We don't know because, again, there isn't enough information out there. It's annoying that we can't know more. I did ask I asked Sarah Hoffman, the health minister, about this yesterday. She's and because she was holding a press conference and said, "Well, you know, Jason Kenney needs to answer all these questions." And I said to her, "But why don't you give the election commissioner the power to release actual details and reports into what the heck is going on? Then we'd have these things called answers that you're pushing for so much right now. But they're not doing that, and they should have probably done that because then we'd know." They're regretting it probably now that they didn't because it's hurting them. Yeah, and we also don't even have a timeline for when this information might come to light. It might not even come to it light may before never come an election. To light because the election right. commission won't tell you if he's looking into something. How long an investigation is going to take. No, nothing. nothing. Mm-hmm. Literally nothing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if these, um, if, if what happens with this. Certainly I've noticed, you know, the election commissioner has been active in oh, this gosh, relatively yes. new position. Um, we had the issues with the Alberta Party candidates. Um, they now, uh, which uh, m- most of them, were still waiting as of Friday morning to hear what happens the result of Stephen Mandel. We don't know that as we're recording. But many of them have been allowed to run again yep. of, the, of the ones who had been told previously they weren't, aren't going to be able to. So um, it'll be interesting to see if these ch- ch- fines are challenged whether they stand up. We should hear today or maybe early next week whether Mandel should run. I I suspect he will be. His next job is going to be getting Albertans to forget (laughs) that this entire thing happened. So, Speaking of investigations or calls for investigations or however you want to phrase it, uh, the UCP is calling for an investigation into 
an event at a Lethbridge hospital last weekend. God, this feels like it was three months ago and it wasn't even a week ago. How does that- It was last weekend. How does that even happen? Um, So what happened? Clancy, were you working last weekend? I wasn't. Oh. Was I? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, No, and they all laughed. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Calgary, the Calgary Herald covered this story. Um, But basically what happened is that the NDP held an event at a Lethbridge hospital Premier Rachel Notley was there. Now, it wasn't an announcement. It wasn't even a re-announcement, which we hate anyway. It was basically a rah, 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 Rachel Notley's the best type of announcement, wasn't it? It wasn't an announcement. It was more more Jason Kenney is the worst. Okay, there you go. That's what it was. And they had nurses there, healthcare professionals come out, stand behind the Premier, right, during the announcement. And it wasn't even a government of Alberta podium. Right. It was mm-hmm. using it was a fighting for NDP you. fighting for you podium, which is their election like tagline or whatever you want to call it. Keith, what did you think about this? Because <laughs> we were talking about this down the press guy. I was like, technically they probably maybe technically, technically maybe they didn't break the rules. But by know. God, it stinks high heaven, eh? Yeah, I I I my reading of AHS policy is that they did actually break the rules. To, to me, AHS Sorry, policy. Sorry, the NDP. The Not NDP, a- yes. Yeah, so HS, who operates these hospitals, they have a pretty clear policy, uh, and it was put in place in 2012. And it basically just says you, during an election campaign, you can't have uh, an AHS facility as a host or even a backdrop for a campaign event. But even during non-campaign times, non-election times, it's not. It's still a political free zone. You can't have political events at an AHS facility. To me, this is clearly what that was. It is a, it was a political event. We've seen other events in hospitals and health centers and, and schools where the government comes out with some sort of news. Sometimes the news is rather frivolous, uh, re-announcements, updates on things that don't need updating. Well, um, like um, I went to one <laughs> and it was about um, organ donation. It was a pro- it was like organ donation week and they wanted people, it was the health minister and they wanted everyone to sign up for organ donation. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Right. So uh, that one to me is actually somewhat important, but uh, there's other ones, uh, other subjects uh, of news conferences where things people don't care about. So they, they hold these news conferences with with – on, on very frivolous or very flimsy terms, but they are government. And I use this in air quotes, government. Keith is air quoting right Yes, <laughs> go- government uh, press conferences. And so there is a legitimate reason for the government to be in the school or the hospital. This was a partisan event. There was no news to announce. They could have maybe found something. Maybe, you know, they're planning dollars for the Lethbridge Hospital, but they Surely didn't. Surely there's some line <laughs> something, item something somewhere they could have done. Plumbed. Right. But instead they didn't. They dropped the pretense and they uh, they held a partisan event. To me, it, it clearly violated AHS policy. The question is, how did this all get arranged in the first place? Was AHS complicit? Um, did the the premier's office engage in some kind of subterfuge, not tell AHS what was going on? Skullduggery. Right. So AHS has had to be a little cagey, but they did issue a statement very clearly saying, we did not organize this event and we were under the belief that there was going to be some sort of health announcement, not a partisan announcement, a health announcement. So that is as far as they've gone to say, this wasn't us. If you were looking for the scapegoat here, this is this is the premier's office. This is the NDP. It looked bad. It should be just common sense that you don't take campaign signs into a public hospital. That's the part <laughs> I didn't get. 
Don't <laughs> campaign in a public hospital. It was even worse when then Cheryl Oates, the Premier's Director of Communications, weighed in on Twitter and said, oh, yeah, sorry about that. We'll ha- we won't have any more campaign events at hospitals. And you're like, you just called it a campaign event. Oh, my God. What is happening? We This is, in some ways, a time-honored political tradition. We certainly <laughs> saw it. Oh, maybe in Alberta, maybe everywhere. I don't, I don't think it's probably not unique to Alberta. I think, you know, any party will use any advantage they have as government. But it was certainly criticized when the progressive conservatives were doing it in their tour, especially they were doing it a lot at the end of their uh, four decades of, of, of majority government. And and I just thought it's not like that was a lifetime ago. There were there are people in government now who were the very people criticizing the progressive conservatives when they did that as government. So that was just one thing that I thought like that that was why it was in some ways a surprise to me because I thought somebody somewhere along the line would have been like, you know, we didn't like this back <laughs> in the day. And people criticized it and like think, well, then now we're going to open ourselves up for the same criticism. You could certainly get stand outside the hospital if you want to start, you know, talking about, you know, your campaign, your policy or not just policy. But yeah, your promises on health care or trying to draw lines. I mean, you can go outside the hospital, public sidewalks, that kind of thing. Yeah, but it was called Sarah. <laughs> it, I know, but you know, it's just it's all it's that's just that's just how it is. So ke- everything he said is 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 accurate. Yeah. Minister Hoffman, we caught her on this uh, before she went into cabinet on Tuesday, and she kind of uh, she actually said, you know, they've had a conversation within caucus that nothing like this will happen again. They won't in terms of uh, campaign events in hospitals. And she she said, you know, I'm health minister, like I have to be going to hospitals for various events. Um, this won't happen again with. Uh, with other people in and the we caucus. And we don't know yet the Ethics Commissioner is looking into it, by the way. I should add that in there because, of course, we won't know until the Ethics Commissioner decides that they are and then decides to release a report about it at whatever point that happens. So, ah, everyone should just tell us everything. Honestly. And I also wish commissioners had, like, alerts that they could send you or yeah, text you great. when things yeah. went online. Yeah. Anyway, be... just a thought. Yeah, just a thought, <laughs> Election Commissioner, Lorne Gibson, if you're listening. We'd love that. Uh, just text us. So <laughs> let's move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have seen or listened to or read lately that we think you might also enjoy. Clancy, do you want to start us off, mate? Sure. I have a great new podcast. Oh, Clancy has a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's one for the books. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's called um, Who the Hell is Hamish? And it's a podcast from The Australian. And it's about um, this man who conned, like, millions of dollars out of people and uh, later went to prison. But it's the whole story of how he convinced people to give him money. Uh, Just a really terrible person who did these horrible things and a really riveting podcast into how fraud works and how it can destroy people's lives. And I would really recommend it. By the Australian? Yeah, it was fantastic. Or the Australian. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Sarah. <laughs> well, I also want to recommend a podcast because I of course, am go fond of the podcast format. Oh, you guys um, listen to things? It's not too much work. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Twitter joke. Um, I uh, I want to recommend a, a 
podcast. I'm only one episode through, so I apologize if it ends up going horribly off the rails. But I really like the first episode. And it's from WBEZ in Chicago. And it's called Public Official A. I think Press Gallery listeners listeners will really like it because it is about the uh, the political intrigue back in the day about uh, former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Um, and he is currently uh, halfway through a 14-year prison sentence in the U.S. for uh, his various misdeeds, including trying to sell a Senate seat or that. And uh, and it's interesting, though, right now, he the, the title certainly resonates in terms of the national stage right now as well. Uh, when you hear public official A, certainly in some of the, all of the investigations around Trump, I believe he's been referred to as uh, something along those lines. Rod Lagojevich's wife is actually the first episode talks about how she is trying to get him pardoned or his sentence commuted or something like that. And there is one person in the world who can do that, and that is President Trump. Fun fact, uh, Blagojevich appeared on the A Celebrity Apprentice um, in oh, between wow. when he oh, was waiting trial. And uh, so that is a fun uh, part of the first episodes as well, hearing the interaction between Trump and Blagojevich as he is fired by oh, Donald wow. Trump. Wow, interesting. Um, I'm going to read a piece from... Th- no, I'm going to read. I did you read, already read, read it. it yeah. <laughs> I'm going to recommend a piece from The New Yorker. Um, it's called The Psychiatrist Who Believed People Could Tell the Future. It's um, in the UK. You guys all just looked up and just looked at me and went, what? That sounds so interesting. Yeah, I'm not even going to bother explaining it. It's pretty self-explanatory, the title, but it's great. It's about, um, it's about a British doctor who began collecting uh, information into these um, premonitions about death and foreboding visions and stuff. And then what happened to him? What a lighthearted career and life he must have led. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Lighthearted. <laughs> Keith? Yeah. I have a couple of things which I'll just get into briefly. Uh, one, uh, I spoke at a uh, panel yesterday, actually, for a group called Civics, uh, C-I-V-I-X. This is a group that puts on student elections uh, during regular election time, tries to teach kids about uh, the importance of democracy and so on. So I was speaking at a, yeah, at a panel um, of teachers who are going to be sort of implementing these student elections in their schools. Um, and it's just an interesting initiative. So I'm just recommending their website so people can see what they're doing. The story I have is uh, it's called In Hong Kong, A Weaponized Free Press Becomes China's Tool of Surveillance. It's by uh, Nathan Vanderclip of the Globe and Mail. Nathan Vanderclip actually worked at the Edmondson Journal for a number of years uh, in in the Northwest Territories. Uh, And he's a very, very strong reporter now in Hong Kong. And this is just about how Beijing-controlled newspapers are being used to target – People in Hong Kong who are calling for Hong Kong independence and other dissidents uh, uh, and so on. So it's it's basically how journalism has been turned on its head there to become a, a tool of surveillance rather than a, a tool of uh, freedom and democracy. Thank you guys so much for joining me, Claire Clancy, Sarah O'Donnell, Keith Durant, for another episode of The Press Gallery. Of course, you should subscribe so you can get our latest weekly, oh, I guess twice weekly podcast straight to your device like magic. And we will be back this time next week with more Press Gallery.